want to talk to you this morning about life choices. And would you agree with me that every choice we make has a consequence? Now, some choices have greater, more significant consequences than others. For example, choosing what vehicle you buy is not uh, as consequential as the person that you choose to marry. Amen? Amen. Now, those choices will not only have an effect on the day that you make that choice, but that choice that you make today will have an effect on your future as well. Nobody lives in a vacuum. And there are others who are watching you, especially parents. There are little faces watching you make your choices, and your current choices are affecting their future choices. So would you agree with me this morning that our choices matter? And would you agree with me that it is essential for us to make good choices and recognize the power of those choices? Have you ever heard the little saying, big doors swing on little hinges, right? And those little hinges are the decisions that you're making today will either swing closed or open many of the doors for your future. They make a big, big difference. So, if you want to excel in your future, then you need to be faithful in the decisions that you make today. And I would say to you that quit waiting on the big breakthrough. You know, some of us are waiting to make a decision. We're waiting for that big breakthrough to come. But I believe that if we'll be faithful in the choices that God brings to your table today, it will have a huge, tremendous effect on the choices that you have in the future. Let me ask you a very important question. Do you believe that God has a plan for your life? Do you believe that God's plan for your life is the best plan for your life? Do you believe that God had a plan for your life before you were conceived in your mother's womb? That's what the scripture teaches us, right? But here's the important question. Be careful how you answer. Will God's plan happen no matter the choices that you make? I said be careful. The Bible teaches that God has a plan for your life. But I want you to consider this morning that you can miss it. God's plan for your life is not automatic. In fact, I believe most people miss God's best for their life. Let me lay the foundation this morning by reminding us some truths that we know from the Bible. Did you know that God knows everything? God knows everything in the past. He knows your present. He knows your future. Did you know that God has never said one single time? Well, that one caught me by surprise. (laughs) He never, he, he even knows the choices that you'll make before you make the choices. You see, that's, that's called the omniscience of God. That's because he's God. In fact, Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all his creation is hidden from his eyes. 
God is not bound by time. Psalm 139, 16 says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day was passed. God knows everything about you. And God's plan for you is good. We've seen it on bumper stickers. Everybody's uh, had it at one time or another for your life. Verse Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God has thought more about your future than you have. Do you know that? Can you miss God's good plan? Well, let me say that pride shows up all the time. And here's what pride in our heart says. God, I know better than you do. I have my own plans. And I guarantee you, if you live your life that way, you're getting all the amens you can hear from hell. And the greatest act of universal arrogance against the clear instruction of an all-wise, all-knowing, all-loving God is that we often plow ahead with our own choices and make our plans even when it is clear that God has said otherwise. God knows everything. God has a plan for your future, and it's good. But to experience God's best for your life, you must choose to obey him. Every day is full of choices. Galatians 6 puts it this way. Paul says, God lets you make choices, and he calls these choices like seeds. He says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You can choose to build your house, your life, on sand, or you can choose to build it on a rock. You can buy now and try to pay for it later. You can choose to move in together and try it out before you get married. But if you choose to satisfy your sinful nature, you will harvest decay and ultimately death. But if you continue to follow and obey God's way, the Lord's way, and what's right, here's what Paul says, you will reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. One of our biggest issues is delayed gratification. We want what we want, and we want it now. See, you got it. But the last time I checked, when you sow a seed into the ground, it doesn't bear the desired fruit immediately. In fact, you can destroy your future crop by trying to eat the seed you're planting today. It would be hard to deny the fact that the Bible teaches us that God gives us many, many, many choices to make and that all of our choices have consequences. You say, well, how do you know this, preacher? Well, the Bible tells me so for one thing, and that ought to be good enough. But let's look at the evidence. Why does sickness exist? Why does your teeth decay? Why did most of us in this room experience arthritis? Divorce? 
broken families, rape, murder, war. Why do orphanages exist? Why do hospitals exist? I'll tell you why. Because we have choices. God has given us a wonderful gift. And it's the gift of making a choice. But those choices have consequences. You see, sometimes bad things happen because we make bad choices. Sometimes bad things happen to us because of the bad choices that others make. I have yet to meet anyone who hasn't had their fair share of pain and suffering. Some of that pain and suffering is self-induced, and in other cases, it's induced by others upon them. All of you probably have known people who smoked most of their life and died of lung cancer, and you're going, well, that's no surprise. But some people die of lung cancer have never smoked a single cigarette. How many of you agree that Jesus came to provide for us the best life possible? You remember in that passage in John 10 where he says that he's the shepherd and we're the sheep? He says in John 10, 10, he said, I've come that you might have life and that you might what? More abundantly. Now, he's not talking about in the sweet by and by. He's talking about right now in a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Now, would you agree with me that the best life possible now is lived when we follow Jesus as our good shepherd? When we hear his voice and we obey what he says. Now, in Deuteronomy, and I, perhaps they can have it on the overhead for you. Deuteronomy 30. We, we've been studying about Moses. We've been studying about the people of Israel. And in Deuteronomy 30, it's a, a rehashing of the law. It's reminding them again. You see, a whole generation of people had died in the wilderness. And now there's a new generation. They're about to enter into the promised land. And Moses is reminding them again about the covenant between them and their God. And he says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, he says, Today, I'm giving you a what? A choice. You can choose life and success, or you can choose death and disaster. He says, I'm commanding you to be loyal to the Lord, to, to live the way he has told you and to obey his laws and teachings. You are about to cross over the Jordan and take the land that was given to you. And if, you see that little word? Big. Here's the little hinge. If, if you obey him, you will become successful and powerful. How many of you want to be successful and powerful? Amen. Amen I do. How many of you parents want your kids to be powerful and successful? Now, here's the key. He says, on the other hand, here's the flip side of that. You might choose to disobey the Lord and reject him. So I'm giving you a warning that if you bow down and worship other gods, you won't have long to live. Now, you say, well, brother guy, isn't that the Old Testament covenant? Yes. But doesn't Jesus give us life commands to live by, to obey? And if we obey them, will we not have the best life possible? Yes, you can believe in Jesus and die and go to heaven. 
and choose to live your life the way you want to. But you will not experience the abundant life Jesus died to give you. So let's take a look. Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's take a look at the life of Moses. In these five little verses, I think we can find four principles, four kinds of choices that we all have to make in life, that if we heed these principles, live by these instructions, lived out in the example of Moses, then we too can have the best life possible now, life and success. Hebrews 11, verse 23. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so it may sound a little different. Verse 23. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given him them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that we have this time together. That we can listen with our spiritual ears. of these very significant truths about the choices we make every day and the consequences to follow. And Jesus, you said, I've come that, I might have, well, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, but we understand it's not automatic unless we walk in obedience to you. So give us hearts of flesh instead of stone. And then, Lord, there are some who are just going to be hard to grasp anything out of anything that I say today because they have yet to trust Jesus as their Savior. They have yet to say yes to your Lordship. But today, by your Spirit, through your Word, have your will and your way, and may we be changed forever because we were setting under the teaching, the preaching, the explanation and application of your Word in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. If you want to experience the best life possible, here's choice number one. Refuse to let other people define you. Write it down. If you want to experience the best life possible, you have got to learn to refuse to let other people define who you are. Look at verse 24. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, a lot of us need to hear that. When you grow up, 
When you grow up, there's some things you need to refuse, okay? Child don't know how to say no. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Wow. So here's an identity crisis, right? Moses is having an identity crisis. He is a 40-year-old man having an identity crisis. He's understood that identity, understanding who he is, is so crucial. And understand this, you get to choose your identity. If you don't know who you are, then somebody else will tell you. And some of us have bigger battles to fight in this area than others do. A lot of it has to do with depending on how you were raised. What your father said or did or his absence or lack thereof in many cases. But let me say very, very clearly that your past does not have to define your future. That's what redemption's all about. That's what about new life in Christ is all about. So what your father said or didn't do or, or, or did do in many cases or what somebody in your past has said about you does not have to define your future. You can choose your future. Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's palace. Think about that. He was introduced to Egyptian literature. He was taught by his Egyptian family to be racially insensitive. He was ingrained with pagan religions that there are multiple gods. He was taught to receive the praise of men himself even as if he were a god. Moses would have been on the short list to be the next king of the world at that day. But at some point, Every man, every woman must take responsibility for their own choices. When you grow up, and so do you and I, if you want to get the future you want, the future that God wants you to have, you must refuse to be defined by what others are saying about you. We do not do our children any favors if we let them, let other people determine their identity. By faith, when he grew up, he made a choice. He did what? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now that's huge. Huge. Moses, Moses in this identity crisis, at some point Moses learned that he was not an Egyptian, but that he was a Hebrew. Moses had to answer the question, who am I? And he had two choices. He could choose to live a lie and enjoy the identity of being Pharaoh's grandson. If he chose to live the lie of who others said he was, he would have been rich. He would have been famous. Every imaginable need and want would be taken care of. All he had to do is go along to get along. Just go with the flow. Go with the karma that life had placed upon him. 
You know, all the stuff we want in life, he had. All the things the world says you have to have to be happy and successful, Moses had. But all he had to do is just go along with the flow. Or he could make a choice. He could admit that he was a Jew. He could have come out of the closet. And if he did, he'd be humiliated. He'd be treated as a slave. He would go from the king's palace to making bricks out of mud. Let me ask you, if you were in that circumstance and you had that choice to make, what choice would you make? An important question for all of us to ask. Who are you allowing to determine your identity? Your friends? Your co-workers? An unpleasable parent? Your spouse? Your boyfriend? Your girlfriend? You know, peer pressure. We know what that is, right? It's not just a teenager's problem. Did you know that? Adults suffer from it all the time. I mean, you, you get a pair of the latest whatever, you fill in the blank, and, and, and what do you got to have? You got to have one the same or bigger and better, right? You, I mean, you even, I can watch my neighbor mow his lawn. Look how pretty it is. And I'm thinking, I'm going to make mine prettier than yours. <laughs> Buy a new gun. You know, your friend buys a new gun. You got to what? Get a new fishing pole. Man, I'm meddling now. If you get a new, you know, your buddy gets a new fishing pole, you got to. Who are you letting choose your identity? Hollywood? Social media? I mean, is your identity determined by how many likes you get on Facebook? Romans 12, 2, Paul said, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. But let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice, that the plan of God for you is good. Exodus 23, 2 says, don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. Man, that's the easy thing to do. I, I, I can remember, let's, let's go get drunk. Uh, let's have sex, nobody will know. Let's try that new drug. I mean, everybody's doing it. And when you follow the crowd, you just gave up your identity. When you listen to that voice that said, everybody's doing it, you just gave up your identity. Jesus said in John 17, 16, to the followers of Jesus, he said, as he was praying to the Father, he said, they do not belong to the world any more than I do. Dare to be different. Don't let the world press you into its mold. Understand who you are in Christ, and it's not dependent on what has happened in your past. And here's the key. When you allow God's word to determine your identity, it makes you resistant to the fear of disapproval by others. When you know who you are in Christ, you can let go of the fear of what other people think. Do you know why most Christians don't 
talk to other people about Jesus? Because you're afraid of what they're going to think about you. See, peer pressure pressure is not about adolescents and teenagers, is it? When you know who you are in Christ, fear dissipates. But when you're living a lie, fear goes up because they might discover who you really are. Moses made a choice. I'm not going to live this lie any longer. Even though it may cost me in the short run, I'm going to trust God, and I'm not going to let my life be defined by what other people say or the circumstances of my life. If you want the abundant life in Christ, if you want the best life possible, then you must not let other people define who you are. Choice number two that Moses made, that we need to make. Choose short-term pain over long-term gain. Write it down. If you want the best life possible, you've got to choose short-term pain over long-term gain. Starts with Moses' parents. That's why I included verse 23. The writer of Hebrews doesn't even include their name. You have to go back to Exodus 2 to hear that Moses' father's name is Amram. His mother's name is Jochebed. Verse 23 in Hebrews 11 says, It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. Think about the background here. Abraham to Joseph, 400 years of Egyptian slavery. God had chosen Abraham to fulfill his promise way back in Genesis 3 when God promised a future seed would provide a death blow to Satan. Out of this pagan world, God chose a pagan man by the name of Abram. And through his seed would come a nation. And through that nation, all the world would be blessed. Abraham, Isaac, Joseph. Now, 400 years of slavery. Think about how much time, how much water has gone under the bridge since that original promise. Israel had grown so large in number that the Pharaoh of Egypt was afraid of revolt and insurrection. So a law was passed intentionally to downsize Israel's numbers. The law said that every male child born to a Jew was to be murdered. They were to be thrown alive into the Nile River. And here's this young Levite Jewish family a mother and a father. And they made a choice. How important is this choice? You you would think that just being their son would be enough for them to try to save him. And there were thousands of other Jewish parents who followed the law and just gave their babies over to the Nile God. Some translations say that they saw that God had given them a beautiful child But I have discovered in my own personal study, I'm not convinced that beautiful is the best translation of that word. 
That's why I read it in the New Living Translation. It says an unusual child. One of the earliest English translations uses the word comely. We don't use that word often anymore. It can mean uncommon. It can mean not ordinary. That's why I like the New Living Translation's word unusual. By implication, it could mean beautiful, but not necessarily. And I don't, I don't think for one minute that Moses' parents looked at Moses and compared him to the older son, Aaron, who was three years older, and said, compared to Aaron, Moses is beautiful. No, here's what I think. And, and, and based upon the author of Hebrews and the way he uses Moses and Moses' parents' example of the importance of faith, I believe Moses' parents took into consideration that their son may in fact be the one or the one through whom Messiah would come. Now, regardless of their motive, to disobey Pharaoh was taking a huge risk, wasn't it? I mean, they weren't living in America where you have due process. There was no lawyers to hire to fight their case. They were living under a pagan dictatorship. If they were caught disobeying, not only would it cost them the life of their son, but it could possibly cost the life of their other son. They could be punished severely, or they themselves could be killed. They were Pharaoh's property as slaves. Now imagine Amram Jogbeb trying to hide a newborn child. What did newborn children love to do? Cry. Can you imagine crying in the night? Trying to, to stifle that cry so no one would know. Can you imagine when Jokebeg didn't show up when she should have after her days of purification were over? She should have been back at work. Hey, where's Jokebeg? Why didn't she come to work today? But the scripture says they put their faith in God's purpose for their son's life. And that choice caused them not to be afraid to disobey the king's command. They chose short-term pain over long-term gain. Can you imagine the faith it took for parents to take their little newborn, three-month-old baby, build an ark out of bulrushes, cover it with pitch, and place them in it, and set that little thing into the river? Depending on the providence of God, Believing that their child had a specific purpose. You know the worst thing about abortion? We, we know it's the taking the life. We know it's murder, right? But beyond that, God has a person purpose for every one of those aborted children. And their life, their purpose of God, and God's purpose for their life has been snuffed out. And who knows what we're missing out on because 60 million of them are not alive today.
Think about it, though. Who picked up that little bulrush with a baby in it? Of all the possibilities, what would the likelihood be that Pharaoh's daughter picked up that little basket, opened it up, and out of the overflow of a, of a female's heart for a little child. I see it all the time in all of you ladies. I mean, you bring a newborn around, you just got these, all these women packing around there. I mean, there's something. They, they just, ooh, look, look. I mean, it's in their hearts to do so. God has made you that way. I don't know. There's probably some chemically that happens. I don't know. But it's all because that's the way God made you. And when she opened that basket, she looked at the little boy and it prompted her heart to take him as her own. Guess what she does next? Hey, is there a Hebrew woman around here that could nurse this baby for me? And just guess who got to nurse the baby? His mama. So, so Moses is raised as Pharaoh's son, given the finest education available, living a life of luxury, could have had any woman he wanted. He, I no doubt he drove a fully loaded chariot. He drank the finest of wines, not the bitter stuff, but the good stuff. And probably drank them out of goblets of gold. He probably had beautiful women just feeding him grapes. What choice did Moses make? By faith, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He made a choice, verse 25. He chose to what? Share in the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasure of sin. Short-term pain for long-term gain. Can you imagine knowing your great-great-great-grandfather was a slave? And there was no hope at the end of the tunnel. You have nothing but an orally transmitted promise of God passed down from generation to generation Abraham spanned across 700 years, nearly 3,000 years since the first promise to Adam. That's a lot of water under the bridge. That's a lot of time gone by. And I mean, we can get upset at a traffic light when it's more than 30 seconds red, can't we? But somewhere along the way, Moses was made aware of his Hebrew lineage. He heard about the promise of God to deliver his people. But he was also aware of the bondage of slavery that his people had been under for 400 years. That's a lot of slave labor and mistreatment. Multiple generations who had never tasted freedom. They couldn't even think outside the box of slavery. And Moses, here he is, raised in the lap of luxury. Yet he chose to share in the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the pleasures of sin. And again, Moses, like his parents, made a choice. He chose short-term pain over long-term gain. I don't know about you, but I, I live in a generation that wants what I want, and I want it right now. I mean, that's the American way, right? Buy now, pay for it later. Maybe. We, we live in an instant gratification generation. I did a little research. Did you know what the average debt for every American is? Every American, on average, 
in America for their mortgage. This is for their house. Average debt, $215,655. Now, some of you deeper than that because I'm not anywhere near that. Auto. You know, how, you know what the average auto loan is right now for the American? Balance? $17,553. Now, I can understand. You, you need a car to go to work. You, you need a house to live in and take care of your family. But, but listen to this one. Do you know how much personal credit card debt every American has assigned to their name? $5,538 of consumer debt. And check this out. 39% of Americans don't have enough savings to cover a $400 emergency. 46% of Americans aged 32 to, 20, to 61 do not participate in any kind of retirement plan. So you can see, you, you must agree with me, that most Americans have little or no concept of short-term pain for long-term gain. What you may not know is that the greatest growth in Christianity are in countries where the converts to Christ experience the greatest amount of persecution. I mean, we got it so easy. We can make such great choices, but we're squandering it away. But places like Iran and India and North Korea and Somalia, they face personal loss when they come to Christ. Family disownment. Some cases, physical abuse. Some cases I've read in Iran when the women convert to Christ, they're raped by publicly known people in places of authority. Do you know that 50 years ago there was less than 500 Christians from a Muslim background in Iran and today there's over a million? The second fastest growing in church in the world is Afghanistan. The first one is in Iran. Do you know why Afghanistan's coming to Christ? Because people in Iran are going to Afghanistan and telling them about Jesus. I wonder how many folks would go to church on Sunday if it cost them their job. How many of you would come to church if you were disowned by your family or repeatedly in some cases raped by the men to oppose your faith. In America, there are three types of people. I was listening to the sermon this week and I heard this and I said, man, I got to repeat that. There are three types of people in America. Believers, non-believers, and make-believers. Moses made a choice. And it cost him big time. He went from potentially becoming the next king to a slave because he believed that in the long term there would be greater gain than what he was currently going to experience in short-term pain. Don't you just love the honesty of Scripture? What does it say in verse 25? He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting what? Pleasures of sin. Did you know that sin is pleasurable? I know that was a huge <laughs> enlightenment, right? Sin is fun. 
That's why everybody's doing it. But that pleasure, that fun, is fleeting. And payday is coming. Sexual perversion, drunken orgies, drug escapes, buying the next electronic gadget on credit. The list could go on. It is pleasurable for a season, but payday is coming. We buy things, you've heard it, with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. We entertain thoughts that reap an action. We sow actions that reaps a character. We sow characters and you reap a destiny. Choices matter. Sin is fun for a season. Let me tell you what's not fun. Putting off buying that new and you fill in the blank until you actually have the money to buy it. Choosing not to go, this is what's not fun, choosing not to go on that expensive vacation so you can pay off your credit card debt. But I'm here just reminding you that if you want the abundant life that God has promised, we must choose short-term gain over long, we must choose short-term pain over long-term gain. We must consider the long effects, the future consequences of our current choices. Third, quickly. If you want the best life possible now, you've got to choose to live by values that are eternal. Write it down. If you want to live the best life possible now, you have to choose to live by values that are biblical and eternal. Verse 26, Moses. He thought it was better. In other words, he, he made a conscious choice. He weighed it out. He said, here's what I could have if I just go with the flow. And then he said, here's what I could have if I follow Christ. And he looked ahead, it says, at the end of verse 26, to his great reward. He was looking down the road to peace. Moses thought, he, he, he made an accounting that it would be better. He is making a value judgment. It was better to suffer for the sake of Christ. He was looking ahead to the great reward. Moses decided on a belief system. Do you know you get to decide on your belief system too? God will let you do it. He'll let you choose what you value. And those values will determine the way you live and work. Moses made a decision to place a higher value on what God thought than on what other people thought. Moses made the choice to tell the world, the flesh, and the devil, hell no, and say, yes, Lord. Let me ask you a question. If I were to ask you to take a pencil and a piece of paper and write down the top 10 values in your life, could you do it? Or maybe just the top five. Or how about just the top two? Could you write them down? Do you know what values are driving your choices? If you can't list them, then you don't know them. And if you don't know them, then you can't live by them. And so your life is lived by whatever feels good at the moment. Whatever my peer group says, coworkers and 
unredeemed, worldly-minded friends and family, media. But if God and his promises, if they are not the core of your value system, the truth is you're letting someone else determine what's valuable for you. And let me ask you something, if that's true of you, how's that working for you? Moses made a decision to value what God values, not what his culture around him or what he was raised in valued. And that gave direction to his life that helped him make some God-honoring, hard decisions at key moments in his life that changed the course of his life and all of redemptive history swung on those little hinges of the choices he made. Most people don't know where they're going because they don't know what they value. Most people are wasting their lives on trivial pursuits that have absolutely no eternal value. Moses, of all the people, had it made, right? He had power, position, possessions. I mean, everything the world, the flesh, and the devil says you need to have to be happy, right, and to be successful. But deep inside, and you do too, deep inside... Even if you have those things, you're still miserable. There's always one more thing. You're never satisfied. He knew there was a, Moses knew there was a greater purpose in his life than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses was born into slavery but raised in wealth. Born a slave but raised as a grandson of the most powerful man on the planet. It seemed as if fate had smiled on him, Right? And he chose to give it all up. Would you? Do you realize that Moses gave up everything the world's trying to get? You've heard it said that he who dies with the most toys, what? No, he still dies. The Apostle Paul made a similar choice. He was born into a well-established family. He was respected by his peers, proud of his family, pedigree, a member of the religious country club of his day, an outstanding member of his social peer group, considered by his peer group as faultless concerning their belief system, well-established in his vocation. I mean, he had everything the world says you need to have success. He was the go-to guy when somebody needed something done. And then Christ came into his life. Listen what he said from the depths of a dungeon. He wrote a letter to the Philippian believers. And this is what he said. Even though he was suffering for Christ's sake, because he chose to follow Christ. He chose to make Jesus Lord of his life, even though he had all of that in his past. He said in Philippians 3, verse 7, I once thought these things as valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when I compare it to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else considering it like garbage so I could gain Christ.
Paul made a decision. Moses made a decision to live by godly values instead of the values of the world. And then finally, Moses chose to live by faith instead of fear. Verse 27, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing, now that's a choice, right? Not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because his eyes were on the one who is invisible. Did Moses have a reason to be afraid? You better believe it. He had positioned himself by making this choice to follow Christ, to make the choice to follow in his Hebrew lineage, to become who he was as he was born, and God had made him for the purpose. He chose that position against the most powerful man in the world. Imagine what Pharaoh could do to him and his family and how difficult a choice Moses had to make. In Egypt, Pharaoh is considered a god. What he says goes. He didn't have to get Congress's permission or the court's approval to do anything. He could just say, so let it be written, so let it be done. But Moses looked at Pharaoh, stood right in his face, said, huh, I report to a higher authority. You're not God. In fact, you're not even a little God. You don't have any authority over my life unless my God allows it. Moses overcame fear by faith. But it's not faith in just anything. You have to place your faith in God and in his promises. Galatians 2.16 says, No one can please God simply by obeying the law. So we put our faith in Jesus Christ and God accepted us because of our faith. You see, what we do does not give us access to God. But because we believe in what Jesus did, it changes the choices we make. How do you keep your eyes on the one who is invisible? How do you do that? Moses never seen Jesus, right? Our culture emphasizes what can be seen on the outward. Media spends a gazillion dollars. That's a, that's a number, isn't it? Gazillion. They spend a gazillion dollars emphasizing money, possessions, houses, cars, physical beauty, worldly success. Here's the next thing you need to be successful. But the Bible is different. The Bible emphasizes what you can't see, like thoughts and beliefs and values and attitudes but all of these things determine our outward behavior like James says don't tell me about your faith show me your works right show me a faith that works the Bible emphasizes that which is eternal not temporary and fleeting Paul shares with us in 2 Corinthians 4 what keeps him going why he never gave up when everything in the world's value system seems to be falling apart. Paul said, this is why I never give up. 2 Corinthians 4, 14. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, I'm eternally focused. 
He says, I'm taking a long view of my current temporary circumstances in comparison to the future eternal glory I'll have with Christ Jesus. You see, here's what Paul knew. He said, the day is coming. And we're closer than we've ever been, folks. When the dead in Christ will be awakened by the trumpet of God. And those of us who are alive and remain at that point will be caught up with him to meet them in the air and there we shall be with him forevermore. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Now, that, that's hard when we're going through it, isn't it? It's hard to even hear that. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Now, I know some of you in this room are going through some hellacious stuff and been doing it for what seems like a long, long time. But hear it again. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet, yet, Paul says, they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Here's what I know. You will never regret living for the glory of God. You will never miss out on some temporary worldly pleasure for the sake of Christ and wish you'd have never done it. Never. It won't happen. Now this is in the midst of a chapter in Hebrews 11 where it begins by saying faith is the assurance of what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. And without faith, verse 6, it is impossible to please God. Faith is trusting that God will do what he said he will do and living as though it were until it happens. Let me say it again. Faith is trusting that God will do what he says he will do and currently living, making choices, as though it were so until you actually see it happen. Man, that pleases God. Man, he's attracted to that. So refuse to let other people define you. Choose short-term pain over long-term gain. Choose to live by God's value system. And like Moses, choose to live by faith and not fear. If you incorporate those choices into your own life, the promise of God's word, the example of Moses, the example of Paul, the example of God in the flesh whose name is Jesus is that you will live the best life possible now. And if that were not enough, go to heaven when you die. Mm. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, that's, that's a lot to swallow, I realize. And, and I'm glad that I don't have to worry as a preacher that these folks can <laughs> reverberate this stuff back to me. Because the Spirit of God is in the house. And he spoke to you individually through something that was said or not. 
because that's what he wanted you to hear at this point in your life. Lord, there are some people that have been on a faith journey for a long, long time. And they just needed strong encouragement today that it'll be worth it all in the end. There are some who are just starting their faith journey and they're, they're, they're making decisions. They're wondering, do I really need to give that up to follow Christ? Do I really intentionally need to, to choose short-term pain for long-term gain? Do I really not have to be defined by what has happened to me in my past? Can, can I really be somebody that God has called me to be instead of who my peer group says I am? And the scripture and the spirit of God says a resounding yes. Yes, you can experience that abundant life in Christ today. There are some here who have never said yes for the first time. Who have never said yes, Lord, to your will and your way and surrendered as best they know all that they are. And so, Father, I pray in these next few moments as we sing this song that if there's anyone that is struggling with a decision and need somebody to pray over them, that's what we're here for. I'm here, the elders are here. There, there's someone in this room that can take you by the hand and, and pray for you through this difficult choice. And then there's some of you that just need to come and publicly say, today I'm trusting Christ for the very first time. Lord, may there be freedom in the house, in Jesus' name, amen.